because there aren't any as cool as us. Um, hey, I am super excited to be back uh, in today, diving into our men's series. Last week, um, myself and the elders of Adventure went away for our elders retreat. Uh, they tried to kill me in the woods. Um, we hiked up a, a, a thing that one can only describe as a cliff. Um, we went straight up this thing. Uh, Doc Young was saying, this is my annual stress test, right? Just to see, like, what's my cardiovascular health like? And I'm going, well, this is my annual death test. Let's see if I die. Um, it was great. It was a lot of fun. We got a chance to get out um, and dream and pray uh, for our church. And I'm just telling you, it's, we've got an amazing group of elders here. I'm super blessed to serve with them, super blessed that they've carried us through, they've led through the last few years, which have been anything but easy, um, and so it is an amazing time to get away, and so grateful for that, um, but I'm really excited to dive in today, just a little bit of housekeeping before we go uh, into this, this morning. Uh, in a couple of weeks, on March 12th, you're going to want to get here early, uh, and I say that because we have a guest preacher that's coming in. Uh, to speak in our men's series, I'm super excited about it. You know, I, I ran into him not long ago, and it's you know he's one of these, one of these preachers that I'm just going like I just if I can give this guy a shot here, I think it'd be great. Um, you know, it's it's just just to give him an opportunity to kind of cut his teeth a little bit uh, when it comes to ministry and preaching. His name's Bob Russell. Um, so I just want to give him. I just like I was like you know what you, what you need is just an opportunity to preach at Adventure just to help you out a little bit, right? Um, so I'm really excited, and yes, it's that Bob Russell uh, is coming. So I'm super, super, super pumped uh, that he's going to be here in a couple weeks preaching in our men's series. He's going to be talking about what it looks like, men, for us to protect our hearts the same way that Jesus did. Uh, so super pumped for that. So March 12th, get here early so you can make, make sure you get a seat, all right? Um, let me pray for us, and then we are going to, to dive in this morning. Jesus, you're good. And how awesome is it this morning, Father, that we had some families standing up here say, listen, we want to live the with God life in such a way that we hand it down to our kids. That our kids see what it looks like to trust and follow you. And that they too, because of that, want to trust and follow you. Father, that our kids look at us and say, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. I want to look like this. In the same way that you created us to look like you. And so Jesus, today, as we unpack this truth, as we unpack what you've got to say to us this morning, I pray that our hearts are soft, uh, that our ears are open, that our eyes are open, Father, to listen into what your spirit has to say. Uh, Holy Spirit, we know you're in this place, we know you're in this room because you're at work in our hearts and you go, you come in here with us and you leave with us. And so Holy Spirit, today we just give you permission to renovate, to come in and renovate and restore and renew what goes on in the inside of our lives uh, so that that transformation makes its way to the outside. Jesus, we are so grateful and so thankful uh, that we get a chance to worship you. Uh, we pray all this in your name. Everybody said, amen. So last week on the way home, uh, we got a chance to listen to the guys, the elders in the car, I got a chance to listen to Patrick as he kind of took this, some big picture concepts that we unpacked the first couple of weeks and he started to show us what it looks like men to apply them to our real lives, right? And so when you look at who God created men and women to be, we see that men we were created to be kings, right, to co-rule with God under his authority. And ladies, you are, as we've been saying, and I love this, that it's kind of catching on, you are the warrior queens in our lives, right? And so here's how we would say this. Basically it's this. Is we've been, we, men and women, mankind, right, we've been given authority by God to equally co-rule under him in such a way that, that when all of creation sees us, right, when, when all of creation sees the character and nature of God, that what they see is ultimately his character, his nature, his power at work in us. So when creation sees us, they see him. We reflect him. So this series, we're speaking to men. So men, I just want to talk to you for a second, right? As kings, what we've talked about thus far is this, that God gives us the role, the expectation, and the responsibility of working, which means to provide for, and keeping, which means protecting our kingdoms, right, our gardens, that's what we talk about. So, and here's why, so that everyone and everything entrusted to us can thrive and experience the life that God desires for them. So here's the deal. If you're new to Adventure, today's maybe your first time here, maybe you're visiting, checking out, or you came, again, just because one of your, part of your family is dedicating their child today. I'm just going to tell you, the way we take notes at Adventure is we take pictures of the screen, right, because I talk fast, and if you try to write it down, you're probably going to miss it. So I'm just telling you, today, have those cameras ready, right? Because there are a couple things that we're going to need to take pictures of. So what Patrick started to unpack for us last week, what he started, us, started walking us through can really kind of be boiled down to this. If, men, you want to be a king as God intended for you to be, you have to first have the heart of a king. And that's the truth. 
men, we can't expect to act and live as kings if our hearts, the world on the inside, right, is not able to support and sustain us, right? We talked about fake it till you make it does not work when it comes to living into and leaning into the roles and responsibilities that God set aside for us. Fake it till you make it, not a good life strategy. Simply put, Patrick said this, we cannot be kings and also be victims. It just doesn't work. You can be a king or you could be a victim, but you can't be both. And as we said a few weeks ago, there are a lot of things, men and women, that happen to us that are not our fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that when you were younger, someone bigger and stronger than you, someone that, that you thought you could trust, decided to take advantage of you, decided to overpower you, decided to, to impose their will on you. And you had, you, if you had a choice, the choice would be, I don't want this, and they didn't listen to that. They didn't respect that. They didn't honor that. That's not your fault. But here's the truth, right? For God, for us to be who God designed us to be, for us to live out what he's designed and who he set aside for us to be, right? What, what he set aside for us to do, what happened to us in our pasts may not be our fault, but living beyond those moments is our responsibility. Not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So, so last week was kind of all about the heart, right, the internal world of a king. And, and this week, we're going to talk about the hands, kind of the external world of a king. Literally, as kings, what drives our actions, how we behave, what we do. And so while you can't be a king and also be a victim, that's true, right, we also can't be kings and also be villains, it doesn't work, right? So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, you're going to need those today. We're going to be living in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. If you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the back. We'd love for you to take one home. If you don't own one, those, we want you to have that, right? We want you to be able to open up a Bible at home. There's something about just opening up a Bible and being able to make notes and circle things and highlight things and all that kind of stuff. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago. And here's what it says. It says, then the Lord said... It's not good, which means it doesn't work, right? That word, it's good, we see God do this periodically throughout creation. He steps back and looks at everything and says it's good, which means it works like it's supposed to. This is how I intended it to work. It works like it's supposed to. It's good. So God, in this moment, says it's not good, which means it doesn't work, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, an advocate that's fit for him. Now, pause right here real quick. A lot of times, again, there's scripture that gets kind of weaponized, that's used to, to kind of put people in their place. And a lot of times, this scripture, I'm not saying we do this here at Adventure, and I'm not throwing stones at any other church, I just want to be truthful. A lot of times, this scripture gets weaponized a little bit to, make, to, to kind of paint women in this picture of, you're, you're our helper, like you're our maid, like you're there to, to fold clothes and clean the house and run the house and take care of the kids while, while we go off. And that's not true, so stop, Right? That's not true. The word helper that's used here is the word advocate, which, by the way, is the same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. All right? I just want to make sure that, that we get, we, we understand that, that this scripture is not degrading, devaluing women, right? So he says, listen, I, it's not good for man to be by himself. I need to make someone who can advocate on his behalf, someone who can support him, someone who, who can speak into his life, right? Someone who will tell him the truth when nobody else will. Someone who is strong enough to co-rule beside him, right? That's what it looks like. And so it says this, it goes on. It says, now out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. That's dominion. We talked about this a few weeks ago, like God gave us dominion. And so God loans his authority to, to Adam. He says, look, you're going to rule under me. And so what does God do? God starts bringing him things to see what he would call them. That's Adam reflecting God's dominion over creation. Adam is doing the same thing that God did, right? When God named and assigned, assigned value to things, God said, listen, this is day and this is night and these are stars and this is, the, this is the sun, this is the moon, this is a mountain, this is an ocean, right? That's what God did. Adam's doing the same thing. Adam is reflecting who God is, his character, his nature, and his power. And it says this, whatever the man called every living creature, that's what its name was. So like God didn't name all the animals, Adam did. And so if you wonder why a giraffe is called a giraffe, ask Adam at some point, right? Like, why did you go with that name? Like, well, it sounded good, right? It's long neck spots, like giraffe. I'll go with that, right? But that, again, that's authority. So Adam, again, he's reflecting God's authority. I'm going to call it this, and that's what it's called. That's authority. 
It says, the man gave name to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper, an advocate fit for him. Which is basically this. It reminds me of the scene in, in, in the movie Dumb and Dumber, right? Where, where Lloyd and Harry, Jim Carrey, and, and, and one of the, whatever his name is. What's his name? Somebody help me out. What's that? Harry and Lloyd. We'll just go with their character names, right? So, so Harry and Lloyd are, like, getting ready, right, for the, for the, for the ball. And, like, and, and he keeps dressing him up in, like, these really nice tuxedos. And Harry's going, nah, that's not it. And then he comes out, like, the bright orange ruffles. And it's like, yeah, that's the one we're going for. That's the one we're after. This kind of reminds me of that. Because it was like God was bringing all these animals to Adam going, how about this one? And Adam's going, I don't think it's going to work out between me and a zebra, God. I don't know that this is... I don't think this is going to work. Like, I don't think this is a good fit. Zebra's cool, but not a good advocate, not a good helper for me. So, so what, what it says is this. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken out of the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said, now, again, this is really cool. This is the first love song. The first love song in Scripture happens the moment that Adam sees the woman, right? He starts to sing, which is really cool, right? The first love song, like the sight of a woman for Adam brings poetry out of him, right? The first poem ever written, right? Roses are red, violets are blue, and Eve, I think you're pretty great. It didn't even rhyme, right? Here's what it says. He says, this is at last, finally, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, which I think he was like, whoa, man, right? He, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In other words, Adam looked at God and said, she is so much better than a zebra, right? This is great. And then scripture says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We talked about that. That's the image and likeness. When God created people, men and women, Men, he created us in his image. Women, he created you in his likeness. And when we go, to, when we fit together, we become the perfect picture of the image and likeness of God. And we said a couple weeks ago, that's why marriage is between a man and a woman. Because that's the only way, right? God who designed all of it said, look, the perfect way for, for people to, to image me to the world is for men and women to be together, right? For men and women to be, the co be, in, be together in the covenant of marriage. Anything, anything outside of that, anything outside of that is a flawed reflection. It's a broken reflection. It doesn't truly reflect who God is. And then it says this, and the man and his wife were both naked and they weren't ashamed, which means this, they were totally exposed. Imagine this, totally exposed without any shame, without any fear, without any insecurity. When was the last time you got out of the shower and looked yourself in the mirror and went, no shame, no fear, no insecurity, right? This is this moment. Can you, I mean, we're going to circle back to this here in just a minute. But here's what we could get from this kind of th these verses. Things are looking really great. Things are looking good. Adam, he's, he's living into the role and responsibility and expectations that God designed and set aside for him. He's exercising God's, he's reflecting God's authority and dominion by naming things in creation, by assigning them identity and value. And then God creates a woman for Adam to co-rule alongside with, and they were naked, and it was great. And I don't have any idea why a men's series requires so much nudity, right? First it was chainsaws, now it's this, right? But one pastor, go back and listen to the first week. You'd be like, what's he talking about? Um, here's, here's the deal. One pastor I listened to this week said it like this. When, when men live and lean into who we're meant to be as kings, here's what will happen. We're going to care for who or what has been entrusted to us in the very same way that God would. And when that happens, the world gets a clearer picture of God's goodness through our lives. That's just awesome. And that's real. I mean, start to think about this. Like, if you start to really lean into and live into who God created you to be, the people in your sphere of influence feel more cared for. And here's why. Because they are. It's not, it's not rocket science. They feel more cared for because you care more for them. They're more blessed. They're more set up to succeed at a higher level, right? Simply by having us in their lives, but we're about to turn the page, right? And it's going to come off the rails pretty fast, and here's why. If a king doesn't rule, just gives up, 
Or if a king rules poorly, here's who suffers. The people in his kingdom are the ones that pay for it the most. That's truth. That's reality. So, so I want to put this really plainly, guys, right? If we don't deal with the junk in our own hearts, it's eventually going to make its way out to our hands. That's the truth. Right? And as men, we're not great at that. We'd rather just kind of stuff it down, shove it down, right? forget about it. We talked about this uh, a few months ago when we talked about the thing beneath the thing, our mental health series. Right? What happens? What happens when you take all the pain, all the wounds, all the insecurity, all the fear, and all the doubt, and instead of dealing with that junk, you just shove it down? Eventually, one of these days, it's going to come out sideways, and it's going to affect, it's going to hit, it's going to hit all over everybody in your life. And you're going to step back and go, I don't know what came over me. I'm not sure why I reacted like that. We've got to deal with the stuff in our own hearts, guys. Because it eventually is going to make its way out to our hands. And it's going to affect the way we act. It's going to affect the way we behave. It's going to have a say into how we physically treat and care for everything and everyone that's been entrusted to us. Because here's the truth. It's only a matter of time before a victim becomes a villain. It's just a matter of time. And again, to make this really simple, villains hurt people. That's what villains do. And the ones that we hurt the most, the ones that we inflict the most damage on, are the ones who are closest to us. And here, again, not rocket science. You want to know why you hurt the people that are closest to you? Because they're close to you. They happen to be standing in the blast radius of your life. They are the collateral damage when you blow up and explode for, for no reason or for a reason you don't understand. And let's just keep being honest, right? For many of us men, we end up becoming the villain because we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it means to be a king the way that God desired us to be. And so here's what we do. We go looking for answers outside of God's design and outside of God's desires, which let's just, again, let's make it really plain and simple. That's called sin. Right? Sin is not a Bible word. Sin is a word that the people in the Bible took, took from archery. It literally means to miss the mark. You aim for something different than what God tells you to aim for. And it doesn't matter if you miss by a mile or a millimeter. A miss is a miss. So we don't know what it looks like. We, we have no clue right now in our culture, in our society. There are so many messages out there in terms of what it means to be a man and what masculinity looks like. Most of them, if not all of them, minus one, are false. And because we don't know, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it means. We don't know how to do this. We start to look into podcasts and, and YouTubers, and we start listening to sports icons or whoever, athletes, or, or we start listening and leaning into politicians in the news, it's outside of God's design and God's desire. That's sin. And here's what happens. Wh whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether it's through, men your direct action or your inaction, you've now become a villain. And what we can expect as villains, men, is, is to lead those that are entrusted to us into pain, into chaos, and death. Why? Because that's what villains do. That's what villains do. Villains hurt people. If you back up a few verses and you look at verse 15, right, in Genesis 2, this whole thing with God explaining to Adam about this tree and, and the fruit, we're not going to get into that today because we already talked about it a, a few weeks ago. You can go back and watch that one. I, I want to I make sure we understand what, what God was actually doing when he told Adam, hey, there's a tree in this garden, leave it alone. Here's what he was doing. God set up a foundational truth, and here it is. You ready for it? If you look for anything that's outside of my desire for you, if you pursue or take on or take in anything outside of what I say is good, right, true, and best, here's what you can expect. You'll die. You'll die. You will die. See, a lot of us, I think we get caught up in the, the fruit and the tree. Because, well, you know, why didn't God do, like, why did God even put that tree in there in the first place? Like, why, why, did God, why didn't God, like, build a giant wall around the tree if they weren't supposed to? Because here's the deal, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I want to say it again because we've got some new folks in the room, right? If God put a gun to your head and said, follow me or else, that's not love. That's not a relationship. That's not choice. It's slavery. And that's not what God designed us to do. God did not design us to be his slaves. 
He designed us to reflect him. God, in his sovereignty, has a choice in how things work. And so do we. We say this at Adventure a lot. You got two deals on the table. You have two deals on the table in life at all times. You can do what you think is best. You can run your life the way you want to. Or you can take the deal that Jesus offers, which is, hey, put me in charge of your life. And here's what, here's what the result will be. At the end of your life, guess what? I'll give it back to you and it will last forever. That's the deal that Jesus offers. There's two deals on the table. There's two deals on the table. And that's what God is, is saying. Listen, you have a choice. You can listen to me, you can trust me, you can pursue me, but if you step outside of this desire or this design, here's what's going to happen, you're going to die. It's not a fruit issue, it's not a tree issue, it's a faith issue. And when God sets this up, he says basically this, look for me, trust me, pursue me, take in and take on what I say is good, right, and true, and best for your life, and here's what you'll find, life. Life that lasts forever. But anything outside of that will result in death. And here's what I know. Some of us in the room, we know exactly what this feels like because we've buried dead marriages. We've buried dead relationships with our kids. We've buried dead careers. And if we were real honest, if we told the truth, we would say, it feels like death. It wasn't just that it ended it wasn't just that the relationship was over. It feels like it died. But again, I want to note, I want us to notice something here, right? I pointed this out a few weeks ago. Here's what happens, right? When God gave this command, when he set up this kind of life and death truth, Adam was the only person in existence at that point. Eve hadn't even been created yet. So flip over to chapter three, right? We're about to find what happens. When a villain sits on the throne as a king. Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, hey, did God actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Which is exactly what Satan does. Right? Satan does not come at us with bold-faced lies. Why? Because we'd see him coming a mile off. What, what Satan does is he takes truth and twists it like half a degree. Right? He begins to poke tiny little holes in truth so that over time it starts to collapse or that we don't even sense it. It's like we don't even realize this is, this is truth that's a half a degree off. Guess what? Truth that's a half a degree off ain't true. Truth does not bend. Truth does not slide. Truth that's on a sliding scale is basically just a set of lies that you're choosing to believe and you're using to justify your behavior. So Satan, he says, like, what did God really say? And here's, we know, we know this, Adam at least relayed the message. Adam relayed the message that God shared with him. So the woman said, we may eat from any, any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat, the, eat of the fruit of this tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Adam passed on the word, hey, Eve, there's a tree, God told me about it, stay away from it. Right? Don't look at it, don't eat it, don't touch it, right? Don't eat the fruit. He says, don't do that, you'll die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. God knows what happens when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open, and you know what you'll be like? Him, knowing what's good and evil. How true is that? How many of us in our lives, we look at God, we think about God, we think about faith, we go, you know what, I think I can do this better than him. I mean, essentially, that's kind of the root of sin, right, is this. It's like, God, yeah, I know you're telling me to aim this, that, at the other, right? I know the bullseye is this, but guess what? I think I can do it better than you. God, I think I can run my life better than you can. God, I think... I think I could, scary, be God better than you can. Same thing is happening. He says, your eyes will be open, you'll, you'll be just like him. You'll know what's good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also, catch this, gave some to her husband who was with her. We'll come back to that. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, here's the deal. Christy and I, I read this to, I always, I always check with my wife before I say most anything, right? It's like before my mouth opens and words come out, I'm like, hey, can I say this? Um, and she's, she, I read this, she's like, I've never heard this before. I've never heard anybody say this, this, this like this before. So here we go, right? 
it's really easy in this story to, to say, like, well, the villain in this story is the serpent, right? The devil, Satan, our enemy. Some people in the past, again, have used this to kind of weaponize scripture against women. Like, it's Eve's fault. Eve gave in to temptation. Women are just temptresses, right? Eve is the villain. No. The villain is Adam. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, how can that be? Here's how. The serpent wasn't a king. The serpent didn't have authority and didn't have dominion. The serpent wasn't an image bearer of God. Eve was not given the responsibilities to provide and protect. Adam was. And remember what I said just a second ago, right? We become the villain when either we intentionally or unintentionally or through action or inaction, lead those that are entrusted to us out of God's desire and into pain and chaos and death. That's a villain. And here's the deal. You can argue. You can argue. Adam didn't do anything. And my answer is, exactly. He did nothing. And maybe some of us in our lives, we go, like, Brad, I didn't mean for this to happen. I didn't do anything. And I would look at you and say, I know. You didn't do anything. You just stood there and watched your marriage fall apart. You stood there and watched your kids chase false truth. You stood there and watched your career go down the tubes. And that's what makes Adam the villain, and that's what makes us the villain. Look back at verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Adam's watching this whole thing go down. He's just sitting on his hands. He swallowed his whistle. He should have been going, foul, no, right? Adam should have stepped in front of his wife and said, listen, dude, if you want to get to her, you got to go through me. Some of us in this room, that's what we should be doing, and we haven't. Through inaction, we set our hands, we swallowed our whistle. We, there have been things that have entered into our house, entered into our marriages, entered, entered into our kids' hearts and minds that we should have blown a whistle and gone, foul, wrong. If you want to get to my kids, if you want to get to my wife, you're going to have to go through me. We, we need to be able to look at the devil and quite literally say, get the hell out of my house. Step back. This is not your place. This is not your territory. But here's the truth, men. Most of the time, we abdicate our responsibilities as kings to provide and protect. We allow our kingdoms to drift outside of God's desire and God's design. And so we allow those who are entrusted to us to do the same. And when that happens, we become the villains. And villains act in one of two ways, tyranny and passivity. And we've already seen one play out. Passivity was the first sin in Scripture. Adam did nothing to keep his wife from something that God said, God told him, that'll kill her. And then not only did he not keep her from that, he did the same thing. Adam, in his passivity, well, here's what happened. He hopped off the throne, and he left it vacant and open and vulnerable, and Satan ultimately stole it. But just so we can kind of know what we're getting into when we talk about passivity and, and tyranny, Let's just unpack these a little bit. And I got this from, from a, a pastor, a preacher named Ben Foote, who is, is at a church, Flatiron Church in Colorado. And I want to make sure he gets credit because this is brilliant, right? Here's what he would say. He said, tyrants, tyr- tyrants abuse the call to co-rule alongside of God and really anybody else because for tyrants, there is no such thing as co-rule. It's just them. Instead, it's just unchecked, unbridled power and authority. And here's the truth. We don't have to talk about tyrannical, toxic masculinity, and here's why. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. But again, I just want to make sure that we walk out of here with a clear picture of who we're not supposed to be. Tyrants, here's what they do. They take care of themselves at the expense of others. Tyrants are threatened by other strong personalities, and tyrants will cut down anyone that won't look up to them. That's what tyrants do. You want to know? Someone in your life is a tyrant? Some good descriptors. Here's a big one. Tyrant kings abuse, which means they impose their will on, or they ignore, which means they withhold their blessing from people. Why? To get what they want. 
They will impose their will on you, even though you say no. And some of us know exactly what that feels like. Or they will withhold their blessing from you. Why? So that ultimately you'll cave and give them what they want. Tyrannical masculinity leads to entitlement. Tyrant kings end up going to war with their people instead of for their people. Why? Because they say, I deserve blank. So you better give me what I deserve or else. And at the end of the day, tyrant kings act like little boys. That's the opposite of masculinity. That's the opposite of manhood, being a little boy. But here's where it gets dangerous, right, church? Here's where it gets dangerous. An entitled three-year-old that throws a fit is manageable. But an entitled 30-plus-year-old throwing a fit like a three-year-old is destructive and deadly. That's just the truth. We all remember our kids when they were little. Remember we referred to our kids when they were three as three-nagers, right? Because they looked at us like, I can do this better. Just shut up, Dad. And it is, it's like you watch them throw a fit, and they throw fits, and you're like, I'm sorry, just my kids, he's three. When a 30-year-old does that, a 40-year-old throws a fit like a three-year-old, guess what? People get hurt. It's, da- it's dangerous. So that's what tyranny looks like. And then there's passivity, which let me be honest, that's where most of us end up. Most of us end up in passivity. It's equally deadly, it's equally dangerous, and it's equally as destructive. It's just sneakier about it. Edmund Burke is credited with this saying, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing. We just saw passivity on full display, right? Ben Foote says this, the unholy trinity of passivity is this, not my problem, not my fault, not my responsibility. How many of us have said that or thought that recently? The result of of passivity for Adam and Eve is that they instantly realize that they're naked and they cover up. Here's the main outcomes of the curse of sin, right? It's pain, fear, and insecurity. Instantly entered into their lives. Pain, fear, and insecurity were instantly now a part of their reality. And they go hand in hand. Here's what happens. There's usually a painful awareness or a painful fear or a painful emptiness. And we wonder this, will I ever be enough? Ever thought that? I have. That thought creeps into my head several times in any given week, if not any given day. Do you think I'll ever add up? Do you think I'll ever be enough? Do you think I'll ever get to that point? When I'm enough, when I feel like I'm enough, that's insecurity, that's pain, that's fear. Before we jump back into Genesis, I want to talk about how these kind of play out in our lives. Men, not my problem. Here's what happens. You come home from work and you tap out. You veg out. And you justify why you deserve it. And when we do that, when we come home after a long, hard day at work, and I do this, right? I come home after a long, hard day at work, and it's like, let me just say this. I'm not, this is not victim card. It ain't easy being a pastor, especially now. It's difficult. Usually we're running into people's lives that are burning down, not running away from them. And there's days that I come home and I am, I've got compassion fatigue. I am tired. And I, I just want to sit on the couch and I want to zone out. I want to veg out. I get it. I get it. But we do this. We come home from work and we tap out and we veg out and we justify reasons that we deserve it. And here's what we do, man. I need us to think about this. This is just as much me. I'm talking to myself as, as much as I'm talking to you. We leave people, the ones that we're called to provide for and protect. Here's what happens when we say, not my problem. We leave them alone to fend for themselves. You figure it out. Not my fault. How many times have you looked at somebody in your life, somebody in your family, maybe a coworker, maybe an employee, maybe somebody that you oversee, and you go, hey, man, your choices got you into this mess. You made your bed. You lie in it. You fix it. I can't help you. And again, we think, it's like, well, we're just, it's tough love, right? It's strong leadership. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come in and rescue everybody. Again, that's just a justification. You're just justifying bad behavior. Not my fault. Not my responsibility. Comes a point. When things get so bad, you go, you know what? I'm done. This isn't my responsibility anymore. I give up. I'm not responsible for you. I'm not, I, can't be, I can't be responsible for you anymore. I can't be responsible for this. That's what passivity sounds like in our lives. Let's look what happened in Genesis. 
the aftermath, right, of this moment. Verse 8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking into the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in security and fear instantly. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said, where are you? Let me just say this. God didn't ask that question because he didn't know. He knew exactly what was happening, knew exactly what was going to happen. He asked that question, again, to call out to the man. Like so many of us in our lives, we think like this is like God kind of putting Adam and Eve in a bad spot. No, 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 no. I want you to know some of us in this room, we feel like we are hiding and we are so hidden, and we are too far gone, and too broken, and too messy, there ain't no way God's still looking for us, guess what? He is. And he still, even though he knows exactly where you're hiding, calls out to you in your mess and says, where are you? Come out. So he says to them, come out. Where are you? And here's what Adam says. Well, we heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God says this, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Check out what Adam does. The woman, not my fault. Passivity. Who God, you gave me, by the way. You did a bad job. I could do this better. Tyranny. Passivity and tyranny on display. I mean, imagine that in that moment. Just going, hey, listen, it's her fault. But actually, God, it's your fault. How many times have you done that? How many times have you pointed your finger at God and gone, this is all you're doing? You blame him for something that he never did, that was never his plan. But in passivity and tyranny, man, we get lost. It's not my fault. It's her fault. In fact, God, it's your fault. Since she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it, not my problem, not my responsibility, passive. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And at least Eve owns it. She says, a serpent deceived me, and I ate. Did you catch that? If you ever, ever want to think, like, I don't know, I don't like, like, like men are the stronger ones, women are the weak. Like, the strongest one in this, in this moment, right, at least confessed. One tried to avoid it. One tried to, to blame it and pass it off on somebody else. One acted like a three-year-old, and the other one said, you know what, this is what I did, God. I did it. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the rest is history. Right? We live, we operate under this curse of insecurity and pain and fear. So this is what it looks like to act like a villain, right? Tyranny and passivity on display. You can't be a villain and also be a king. So to close out today, here's what I want to do. I, I want to talk about what it looks like to be a king. Again, get your cameras ready because there's going to be a lot here. I read an article this week by a guy named Joe Rigney. And this article is titled Seven Important Lessons About Masculinity. We're going to talk about five. But it starts with, it starts with one of the best definitions of what masculinity looks like when we live into and lean into our roles as kings. Here it is, guys. Take a picture of this. Men and women, take a picture of this. Masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. It's one of the best definitions I can find. And just for the sake of clarity, what we're saying is this. That when we act like men, right, go back to the first week of the series. We read this, this verse in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul says, act like men. Acting like men isn't being inactive. Paul doesn't say avoid action like men. Paul doesn't say be inactive like men. Paul doesn't say act like little boys. No, Paul says here's what it means. Being a man is action oriented, which is why he says act like a man. And this action, acting like a man, is joyful, and it's the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Just put it plainly, this, men, we are made for, we are glad to respond to everything and everyone in our lives, that's our responsibility, by using our power and our authority for their sake and not our own. That's sacrifice. So what I want to do as we wrap up is I just want to get really specific. Rigney says this. To be true men of God means that you're first in, last out, and you laugh the loudest. And I loved in this article, he quotes C.S. Lewis. He says, for this is what it means to be a king. First in every desperate attack and last out in every desperate retreat. And I heard a story, I heard a story about Alexander the Great this week, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to find a way to use that in a sermon. And so here it is, right? There's a moment 
There's a moment as Alexander, who's in his early 30s, right, conquered the known world at the time. There's a moment where Alexander the Great and his army, they reached India, right? And the people of India, they come out. So Alexander and his army, they ride out to the front, right, to the, to, to the, to the front line of the battle on horseback. The people in India came to the front of the battle on elephants, which is essentially like going at a tank with a motorcycle. And all of Alexander the Great's army went, there's no way we can win this. There's no way we can win this. There's no, we, we, there's no way we can do this. We're, we're done. This is where we stop. They win. And again, Alexander the Great, I don't know why there's so much nakedness in this. Alexander the Great goes out in front of his whole army, takes off all of his clothes, drops his armor, takes off all of the stuff that was under his armor, and he spins around. He kind of rotates. And he looks, at his, he looks at his army and says, you'll notice all of my battle scars are on the front side of my body. I have no wounds on my back. And that's because I will never run away. I will always press forward into battle. I will never run. You will never catch me running. So he puts his armor back on, gets back on his horse, and they ride into battle and they win, right? So Rigney, he goes on to say this, kingship, which is masculinity, means being first into battle. If there's a danger to be faced, a true man will face it first. If there's a burden to be borne, a man will bear it first. A man will see to it that pain and hardship fall in his lap before they ever fall, before it falls on, upon those under his care. Right? Mark 10, Jesus says this, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to know what this looks like, men? Like Jesus. Like we said, by, the Bible is the, is the operator's manual. Jesus is the model. In the same way that Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and started washing his disciples' feet, God with skin on took on the lowest role in the house and said this, like I've done for you, you do for others. You want to know what it looks like to be a man, to be a king? First in, last out. Sacrifice, laugh the loudest. Next is this, men, we're to embrace our calling as kings to be protectors. We're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks, right? Thank you. Bob's going to introduce this concept to us. So, so men, we are the primary, which does not mean that we are, the on, we are not the only, but we are the primary, we bear the, the primary burden of defense, whether it's in our home, our family, our church, or our country. All of that lies with men. I love this. The world is filled with gardens, and gardens always attract serpents. And so kingship, men, is about taking responsibility for the physical, emotional, and spiritual safety of those in your care. Paul told us to be watchful. He said, pay attention, wake up. And here's what this looks like, men. It's as simple as locking the door at night in your house, and it's as significant as giving out blessings and hugs and kisses to your family like they're going out of style. Let me just tell you this, guys. One of the best ways you can protect the hearts and minds of your kids is to bless them. That's what fathers do. That's what kings do. We're hardwired for it. We offer blessing. Send your kids to their school with, they, with your blessing kind of echoing in their ears. When someone says something to them or, or tries to get at who they are, the first thing that should come to your kid's mind is this. Well, my dad says he loves me. Doesn't matter what you say. My dad says he loves me. My dad says he's proud of me. I don't care what you say, coach. I don't care what you say, teacher. My dad says he's proud of me. Let me just tell you the truth. Kids, don't question who they are. Men, when you bless them and remind them constantly who they are. And the same goes for our wives and our girlfriends, our fiancés. Offer them blessing. Don't withhold blessing to get what you want. That's tyranny. Men, a great way to protect your kingdoms is through blessing. Next one, men become good kings by practicing self-control. The Bible teaches this, that the glory of young men is their strength, inactive strength. Guys, strength we don't use, that's passivity. But on the other hand, we've already talked about this, unbridled strength that's reckless and dangerous and causes harm and destruction, that's tyranny. The strength that's governed by wisdom, that's what we're talking about next week, right, a little preview. Strength that's guided by the Spirit of God, here's what that is. Strength that's guided by wisdom and God's spirit is always aimed at the good of others. Always. And this is what God is after. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, order and structure exist in God's world to make room for, for, for good things to run wild. 
God builds walls around cities so that life can happen on the inside. God establishes boundaries so that joy can be unleashed, right? We've talked about this before. Sex is a great example. Sex and sexuality, right? Again, it's designed to be enjoyed between a man and a woman inside the covenant of marriage. The illustration that I've used in student ministry forever is like a fire in a fireplace. You put a fire in a fireplace, guess what? It's awesome. You put sex and sexuality inside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, it's great. That's what it's supposed to be. You take that same fire, nothing about the fire has changed. You take that same fire and you set it in the middle of your living room, guess what's going to happen? It's going to burn your house down. God doesn't design things and put things in certain places to kill our fun. God designs things and puts them in certain places so that we don't get killed. You get that? God's not a buzzkill. He's trying to protect us. He's a good king. Ladies, you're going to love this one. Men, we're good kings when we celebrate our queens. And I love this in the article. It said that men and women were made to dance. And the whole point, men, of you leading the dance is to showcase the beauty of the women in your life. The first dance at your wedding, guys, guess what? It wasn't for everyone to look at you. No one cared. Your wife could have gone out there and just kind of twirled around and everybody was like, that's the best first dance I've ever seen. The dance, the dance that we do, guys, with our wives, with the women in our lives, it's for you to lead and show off your wife to everybody else. In the article it says this, there can be no godly masculinity where feminine virtue is not celebrated. Here's the truth, guys. We're almost done. The way that you'll show the world whether or not you're a good king is not by letting it take a good look at you. The world can tell what kind of man you are by looking at your wife and kids. And you are, well, I'm not married. The world can tell what kind of a man you are by looking at the way you treat your girlfriend, your fiance, and your mom. You can try and sell yourself. I'm great, I'm great, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, but here's the deal. If the lives of your wife and kids are falling apart, that's all I need to see to know you're not a good king. The lives of the women in your life, that's all I need to see to know that you're not a good king. So the last one, and this is the most important one, guys. Men, we're good kings when becoming like Jesus, that's our primary goal. And I want you to catch this quote, okay, because I sat and read this in my office, and I think, I'm glad we've got a counseling crew that meets in our office. I'm, I'm glad that, that Haven Point operates out of adventure. But sometimes I wonder if, like, they can hear me crying in my office and they're like, we should check on him. Because I read this quote and I, I just wept. It says this, unlike Adam, Christ killed the dragon to get the girl. He killed the dragon by dying himself. When he saw his bride, the church, heading down the broad road to destruction, what did he do? Jesus didn't blame, he bled. He didn't damn, he died. He didn't gripe and grumble and groan. Instead, he gladly and graciously gave himself up for her that he might purify and beautify his bride. Jesus is the most manly dude you will ever meet. And men, that's our goal. That's our goal. My prayer for myself and for my, my own sons, and really my prayer as we even started this series, my prayer for every man that's heard this, every man that's going to listen to this, is that we would do one thing, and that's this, that we would answer and embrace Jesus' call to follow him into the breach. I love that so much I got it tattooed on my body, right? Into the breach, into the unknown, into danger, into places that it's not safe. You run into the burning building, not away from it. We would answer Christ's call to lay down our lives, men, for the sake of others. And we would do so for the joy set before us that we men are the first in and we're the last out and we laugh the loudest. Why? Because it's our joy that we protect those entrusted to us by offering blessing. That we practice self-control by combining strength and wisdom. That we celebrate and respect and honor the women in our lives. And above all else, we seek to become like Jesus every single day. So guys, I have three challenges for us. This is your homework. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. And you better accept it. Challenge number one, get off the couch. Which means this, 
give a care. And it, I'm, it, it's like, that's going to be the closest I ever come to saying something I shouldn't say on stage. Give a care. Care. Care enough. I know you're tired. I get it. Me too. Care enough on the drive home to recharge your battery so that you walk in the door, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get down on the floor and play with your kids. Care enough that when you walk in the door, you kiss your wife, you ask how her day's going, you show concern for what's going on in her life. Care, get off the couch, get into the game. And you do that by caring. Show them that you care. Second challenge, get off your phone, be present. You get on your phone now to take a picture. Get off your phone later. I get it, guys. These things are like black holes of distraction. I do it too. I sit on my. I sit at night when our kids have gone to bed, and I'll sit five feet from my wife on the couch, and I'll scroll scroll through just junk and garbage. I do this enough. Let me just tell you. Yesterday, we, we as a family, we went out to breakfast, and I put my phone intentionally on the far side of the table in front of my oldest son. Right, and I took face down so I couldn't see it behind one of those little things that says like here's our specials right I didn't, I wanted it out of sight out of mind and later Jack asked me why'd you do that and I said because I wanted to be present it's too much of a temptation for me to escape into Twitter or for me to escape into whatever or for me to escape into Facebook marketplace because daggone it I do not need to buy a boat someone stop me from doing that <laughs> don't buy a boat distraction. Guys, get off your phone and get into the lives of your family. And then the last one, this is the hardest. Get out of your head. And I get it. Every time we ask guys, and, and we do this we, with our, with our, in our men's ministry and some of the huddles, we do these things called selahs, which is how we check in with each other. Each one of those stands for a different emotion. And if you look at a guy and you say, how, you feel, how are you feeling today? The first thing you do is this. Like we go up into our heads. We try to make sense of what we're, what's going on in our lives. And so I'm going to make this one really simple, right? Just in the interest of time, right? Stop thinking. Stop thinking about doing stuff. Well, I thought about it. Stop trying to come up with a plan and a master plan that has like, well, here's what I'm going to do this year and next year. Like, stop. Stop thinking about it. Stop intending to do something, right? There, there's, there's a great saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Stop thinking about it. Stop intending and do something. Do something calling you out. Do something. Step up. Get off the couch. Get off your phone. Get out of your head. Men, the people in your life, whether you're married or not, whether you got kids or not, the people in your life, the co-workers, people you work with, students, your classmates, teammates, whoever, they are desperate for you to act like a king that serves underneath the authority of the king of all kings. So that's the challenge today, guys. You've been called out, plain and simple. Do something. Say something. Do something. Let me pray for us. If today you want to talk about what it means to trust Jesus, I'd love to meet you down front. If you, if you want to talk about what it looks like to join this church, this family, we'd love to chat with you about that. If you need prayer this morning, I would love to pray with you and pray for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're good and we love you. We love all that you do for us, all that you make possible. Jesus, today I pray that we would live in, your, in, in, in the courage of knowing that, that you save us and that there's no harm that can come to us at the end of the day because you've got us. Jesus, you are the King of Kings. May we, may we strive to look more and more like you every day. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.